the hollow men. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men leaning together, headpiece filled with straw, alas. Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass, or rat's feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. Shape without form, shade without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Those who have crossed with direct eyes to death's other kingdom remember us if at all not as lost violent souls but only as the hollow men the stuffed men and so this poem is called the hollow men by t.s Eliot, which was written in 1925 and continues on with imagery of unseeing eyes and death's appearance with such imagery, we can begin to understand the mindsets of soldiers returning back from World War I, the fragile and cracked existence that made the framework of the Roaring Twenties. In the same year, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby came into publication. Now the fun begins as lights are lit, drinks are poured, and a one and only Nick Carraway retells the summer of Gatsby's death. Fitzgerald steeped his novel The Great Gatsby with the trauma of World War I, which suddenly pervaded into the parties and relationships of Nick, and a similar emotional anguish shown in today's life. Nick Carraway is a fascinating man in that he seems discreet and humble while being surrounded by the lavish lifestyles of Gatsby and Tom and Daisy which is peculiar because here is this gentle man amid New York life, far away from his home in Minnesota. He himself had said that his life and family was poor. But why wouldn't he say home where his family and a possible wife is? If he's truly gentle and humble as we see him as, why leave such a lifestyle? Well, this is the time of the lost generation. Nick came back from a war, fighting in a machine gun battalion. Nick needed a fast-paced lifestyle and the copious parties to never have to stop moving. He explores every angle and edge of life in New York as he speaks about the stupendous sights, except in the beginning with the gray men and the imagery that comes from E.J. Eckelberg. This is a valley of ashes, a fantastic farm where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and grotesque gardens where ashes take the forms of houses and chimneys and rising smoke, and finally, with a transcendent effort, of men who move dimly and already crumbling through the powdery air. Occasionally, a line of gray cars crawls along an invisible track, gives out a ghastly creak, and comes to rest. And immediately, the ash-gray men swarm up with laden spades and stir up an impenetrable cloud, which screens their obscure operations from your sight. But above the gray land and the spasms of bleak dust, which drift endlessly over it, you perceive, after a moment, the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. When first reading this, I saw the no man's land and the dust falling as homes of rubble surround Nick. This is the closest we see Nick alluding to the war, leaving the rest of his time to talking about Gatsby. 
The clock strikes thirty for Nick. Gatsby seemed to have it all, but only goes to show how being stuck in the past haunts soldiers every day. Focusing on Gatsby by giving a truthful testament of Gatsby's life, as he would want to be remembered, in some way, if he too were to die. Like Ernest Hemingway said, every man's life ends the same way. It is only de- the details of how he lived and how he died that distinguish one man from another. So, in the end, he went home to where people would give him a proper burial. Keeping in mind that the whole book is Nick's persuasive essay or rhetoric about Gatsby's life, it begins with ethos. He justifies his acquaintance with Gatsby and Daisy. Pathos. He outlines Gatsby as a man yearning for better opportunities and the loveless marriages in all of the horrible shapes that they come in. Then there's logos. The reason to believe his retelling is that Gatsby obviously loved Daisy and would do anything for her, making it feasible for him. To take the blame for Myrtle's hit and run death. Now, people still distance themselves from their past, trying to be optimistic when terrible life events occur. Not too long ago, 9/11 killed hundreds of people in New York and changed a nation. Families are split. Soldiers don't come home. Tornadoes wipe out whole houses. Teenagers drink cheap booze and attempt at moving their lives at a faster pace. In the end, the trauma of recent events harm the American people, just like in The Great Gatsby. People still deal with trauma and PTSD, and now the stakes are higher as divorces get meaner, weapons get stronger, and cars get faster. In all these ways, the twenties then and the twenties now are similar and different. Now that we are coming to a close of this podcast of twenties then and twenties now, let's hear the final words of Nick Carraway as we are brushed off into. Wonderment and curiosity and whatever other emotion we'll find along the way, I suppose, in this final sentiment. He did not know that it was already behind him, somewhere back in that vast obscurity beyond the city, where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. Gatsby believed in the green light. The orgastic future that year by year recedes before us—it eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther, and one fine morning. So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. <laughs>